right, welcome to this week's Extra Innings Podcast here at the Seattle Times. I'm Mariners beat writer Ryan Divish, your host of this semi-weekly, whenever-we-want podcast about baseball, the Mariners, uh, life, Magnum P.I. You never know what we're going to get into. I'm recording this just before the Angels are about to take batting practice here at Angels Stadium on Thursday afternoon. Earlier today, I talked with Larry Stone for almost 50 minutes just about a variety of subjects. You know, just the news uh, since the last podcast, which was Jerry DePoto getting an extension, Robinson Cano talking with the media, uh, the all-star balloting, uh, or the all-star announcements, I guess is a better way to put it. Gene Segura making it through the Send Segura campaign. And then we also talk about Larry's column uh, on Nelson Cruz possibly getting an extension. And, of course, we just actually talk about the business of covering the all-star game, which Larry's headed to this week, this upcoming week. Uh, So let's get to the interview. Okay, let's welcome in Larry Stone, uh, my best buddy at the Seattle Times. Bob I'm Condota. telling Bob Condota. Yeah, he's going to be really upset, but that's all right. You know, Bob beats me at trivia the other night, so he, he doesn't get that. Uh, what's <laughs> he going beats on? All of us at trivia. Yeah, what's going on? Where are you at? Uh, I am at home today. Uh, probably just going to work work a little bit from home. Uh, Heading to the All Star Game on Saturday after you uh, graciously. Uh, Handed that chore to me, which I'm really, really looking forward to. I've got the Futures game on Sunday with Kyle Lewis, and then Monday is the uh, longest day in a baseball writer's life, the Monday before the All-Star game. And then uh, the game on Tuesday, so uh, really, really can't wait for that. Well, let's go through that real quick. So um, just with the All-Star game, um, obviously we'll, we'll get to know who all made it from the Mariners, but explain to people why it's the longest day of the year, the Monday of the All-Star game. <laughs> Well, you, you see, it starts with there's a. Is that when the baseball writers' meeting is, or is that on Tuesday? I think it's, no, on it's that's, tu- that's on Tuesday. That's yeah. Because right. um, it's been a while. This yeah. is going to be. I counted. It's going to be my twentieth All Star game, but I don't think I've gone since 2013. So yeah. I'm a little I'm, rusty on all this. But uh, um, just the, there's the workout uh, in the more uh, in no, the afternoon. Yeah, there's the media availability. Billy, yeah. Boy, I'm I'm really messing this up. Wow, You'd be wandering around all lost and stuff. So yeah, there's media there's availability. The, the media availability where they put everybody around uh, at tables at a in a hotel ballroom. At first, you have the National League and then the American League, or I think they alternated every year. So you have an, a full hour. Of, these guys are captive audiences. Well, actually, before that, you have the the manager's press conference where they announce the starting pitchers. And uh, it's just one thing after another. You, you have the hour where you, you have the access to the players, and then another hour with the other league. Then you go to the workout, and you have a little bit more access if you didn't get everybody you need. And as you know, you know you, you, you think that you could get everything you need in that first hour, but there's hundreds of media people all wanting to talk to the same people. So getting a one question in can sometimes be a, a monumental achievement. It, it's very frustrating. When you, when you have radio guys who come in with stupid questions, 
some newspaper guys with stupid questions and you're just you're you're trying to do your interview with your guy from your team that you need to do for the next day's paper and uh that was always a f- real frustration with Ichiro but he always uh, he always gave <laughs> a little extra time to the local guys who were there so that was cool um one time can I tell a little story sure go ahead <laughs> i was uh, i i was waiting out Ichiro and he uh he did like 45 minutes with the japanese media and then finally he said okay i'll do english now he had his interpreter there and i i ended up getting like 2 minutes with him and i i had was writing my whole story on him the next day and so i i was really upset cuz i didn't get what i needed and uh i conveyed that to his interpreter that you know hey i <laughs> That that really wasn't right. It came all this way, and uh, need to talk to Ichiro. And uh, during the, uh, the the clubhouse opened before the workout, and he said, "Larry, come over here." And he called me over and and gave me like twenty minutes in the in the locker room, and said and apologized for uh, for what had happened earlier. He said he didn't realize that we we had run out of time, so. Uh, that's a good memory I have of Ichiro. Was that Ken Barron or was that Alan? Yeah, it was Ken. Yeah, it was Ken. Ken, nice guy. Um, yeah, he. Yeah, you handled that probably better than I would have handled that. <laughs> uh, it was just, I mean, people that know us probably understand that. I, you know, I would have freaked out and thrown a temper tantrum, and I've done that with Ken. Unfortunately, I freaked out one time about Ichiro, and Ken had to wear it. And he was really cool about it, but yeah, you you handle that much better than. I <laughs> Well, for me, you know, I, I'm not one to throw tantrums, but I, I, I made my displeasure apparent and uh, in, a, in a nice way. But uh, <laughs> it's a, that that it's not quite like the the media day at the Super Bowl. Obviously, that's a circus, but it's just it is very condensed, um, and you do have people coming from all over. You've got you know the national guys come in and, and they want to you know a lot of them think they just own the place, and then. You know, you do have a like with the Latin players. There's a ton of Latin American media because it's still baseball is still the you know one of the top sports. So they send in a lot of guys. It's just you know you have some kid reporters. There's a little bit of everything. But I always just kind of you know pick and choose. And one thing I did, I think it was one of my first years. I had like three recorders with me, and I can't remember who I did it with. It might have been Cano uh, because <laughs> of. Um, you know, this was like his one of his first deals back since the Yankees. So I wanted to make sure, like, if he said anything about that. So I just put a recorder down, turned it on right in front of Cano, and left, and went and did other stuff. <laughs> I did that once with uh, with Tim Lincecum. I that uh, uh, was when he was at his the height of his uh, uh, celebrity and you know local kid. So I was doing a Lincecum story, and I could not get close. To the, I could not get close enough to even hear him, so I just handed my recorder to someone at the front and said, "Put this in front of him," because I knew I wasn't going to get even anywhere near. So, and I had another recorder, and I went around, and then I picked up my recorder after and listened to what he had to say. Um, yeah, and you, you better have a plan going in. Like you can't just go up and wing it because I don't know. I mean, the one year before Griffey's um, before Griffey's uh, Hall of Fame deal and. <laughs> That was, I'd spent like six days in San Diego. That was before the San Diego All-Star game because like the way the travel schedule worked out, I had to, you know, I was on the road and I couldn't, I I couldn't go from back to Seattle from Houston and then San Diego was just a waste of time. So I went to San Diego early and I thought Griffey was going to be there. 
uh, and he wasn't. And then I, I was panicking because <laughs> I had this, we had that special section. I hadn't written anything on him. You know, the, the whole plan of me flying in his airplane thankfully fell through. So I didn't have to, <laughs> you know, do that because I, I probably would have never flown again. Um, but so I did, a, I remember I did a two hour interview with Griffey, but like the night before he called me and he was watching a golf channel. And so he wasn't completely into it. And so I just remember that next day I got up early and I transcribed all two hours of it. And it, I just like, I don't have anything. I don't have anything. <laughs> I'm freaking out. I can't, you know, I was going to text him again to say, Hey, we need to do this again. And I knew that wouldn't go over well. So then I just kind of decided, look, I'm going to ask every player because a lot of those players were that age about Griffey and I had to go through. So like, that's all I did basically, you know, I was trying to go through and do that. And that worked out well. I mean, I was still able to get my normal stuff, but, and then like last year, you know, with, I think last year was Nelson and um, Robbie. I mean, I've talked to those guys so many times at the all-star game, you know, the stories are kind of meh, you know? <laughs> and so, and you really, and I'm talking to them just about mid season stuff where the team's at a lot of the times, but I, uh, you know, smoke being there last year, that was really good. And it was kind of funny. Like a lot of the blue Jays reporters were, uh, uh, sitting around and he really wasn't saying a whole lot, you know, he's a really nice guy. And, uh, and then I got over there and of course he, I walk up to the table and he looks at me, he's like, what the F are you doing? And I'm like, you know, <laughs> a typical smoke thing. And, uh, and then I started asking him questions, you know, and he got really into it. And then like, you know, everybody just kind of, that was the one thing is like everybody glommed onto the quotes, but you know, whatever, but it was, it was pretty funny. And the, one of the, the Canadian guys goes, man, I can't believe all the stuff you got out of Justin. I goes, I speak smoke and ease, man. So, uh, so. <laughs> yeah. The, sometimes the best perspective is, is a guy you've covered who you're no longer covered because you have the familiarity, but you're also kind of, uh, you have the outsider's uh, point of view and you're, you know, what you said about Cano and Cruz, you get so familiar with guys sometimes that you that you don't ask the obvious questions that someone from outside does that get that get good answers you can answer ask those questions because they, they're just not right coming from you yeah. you know i had a griffy situation in, at the all-star game in uh God, i can't even remember 98 or so he, he was uh it was in um coors field in colorado and he was supposed to be in the home run derby and then he announced that he wasn't going to be in the Derby like 20 minutes before it was about to start. It was a big, a big to do. And, uh, you know, I was scrambling around trying to find out what happened. And apparently Reggie Jackson pleaded with him to, to, to do it. And he ended up doing it. He ended up winning it. <laughs> and uh, so I, I ended up talking to him for a long time. That's the thing about Griffey. You said that, that you talked to him for two hours. Once you got Griffey, sometimes you he didn't want to let go. He, he 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 was really tough to corral for an interview. But some but then he it was a, the oddest thing. Sometimes he would just uh, use it as a therapy session, and this was one of those cases. I ended up talking to him for like an hour and a half, almost to the uh, to the point where he was going to miss the workout, and uh, you know uh, so. Uh, Griffey was was always a an adventure at, the, at these All Star games. Yeah, I know it's it's still fun. I mean, like you know, I like the futures game. You get a lot of um, you get a lot of access to those guys, maybe more. I mean, there's still a lot of people there, but you know, like last year, Tiago Vieira, he knew me. I'd already covered him at spring training, so he like searched me out and waved at me, came up and talked hmm. to me. It was really great, you know. Uh, and then like. 
the one thing about the futures game is you can sit down on the cages and watch them take batting practice. So like last year, I watched Vlad Guerrero Jr. take batting practice. It was ridiculous. He just spraying balls. But I watched Joey Gallo and Javi Baez and all those guys take BP that one year in Minneapolis in the futures game. It was ridiculous. I mean, it was absolutely ridiculous. And so that part is pretty cool. I, I'm interested to see what Kyle Lewis has to say. I mean, you know, it's a it's a good story. Um, you know, I, I was happy that they chose him mostly for you because that's a good story in that regard, uh, catching up with him. Uh, so that'll be good. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, I mean, you really do get to see tomorrow's stars today. I mean, a lot of a lot of the superstars of baseball were in that game. Uh, you know, Harper and. Uh, probably Trout. I, I I can't specifically remember, but I bet I bet he played in the Futures game. I'm trying uh, to think of the Mariners prospects I covered in that. Uh, Tyler O'Neill. I covered Felix way back when. Pretty good. Basketball pretty good. <laughs> Turns out pretty good. Um, I had Marte, Gabby Guerrero. I had Gabby Guerrero. That was an interesting one. Yeah, whatever happened to Gabby Guerrero? He's, he's still not playing Vlad Jr. No, he's still playing somewhere. Um, I was just checking the other day that uh, Peralta, who the Mariners sent to uh, the Brewers in, for Adam Lind, is now a really good relief pitcher oh. for the Brewers. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, he's starting, uh, too. So, yeah. And then Aniel De Los Santos, who the Mariners traded uh, to the Padres for uh, – Joaquin Benoit is up, and also uh, Pablo Lopez, who went to the Marlins in the David Phelps trade, is also called up. So, so you've got your ex-Mariner of the Week uh, uh, cemented for several weeks in a row with those guys. Look, let's let's not kid ourselves. I don't think about my Sunday furniture stuff <laughs> until Saturday night. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure the desk loves you for that, too. Yes, they do. Uh, all right, let's get to the All-Star game real quick. Um, we'll go in reverse order, kind of the newest stuff first. Uh the Mariners and the Sen Segura thing was, you know what, they'd never had a, a, a final vote guy before, and it feels like they'd been planning for this for that long. I mean, I don't know how long the final vote's been going. I think like 12 years. Everything that they possibly could have thought of in those 12 years that they would do, they did. Yeah, you know, in our last podcast, we, we threw a, a bouquet to the Mariners marketing department for the Turn Ahead the Clock uh, event. And this is just an extension of that. I I knew that if the Mariners ever got a person in that final vote, that that these guys, Kevin Martinez and, and Greg, Greg Green, Green and yeah, yeah would uh, would would uh, hit it out of the park, and 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 that's what happened. <laughs> you know, I mean, it was a perfect marriage of uh, marketing. The fans got into it. The players got into it. Um, it, and yet he still – I was shocked that they had the vote totals, and he was still about 7 million short of uh, Aguilar in the, Ameri- what in the, the National League. What the hell are they doing in Wisconsin? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I thought the Mariners uh, fans were round-the-clock voting for this guy, and uh, and the, the and 13 million, which is a very impressive total, but Aguilar had, what, 20 million. Yeah. So um, Never but, underestimate the medal of the Midwesterner. <laughs> exactly. Uh I'm just wondering if there's going to be uh, uh, new rules next year that you can't uh, do what the Mariners do, did and give away prizes and stuff uh, uh, in, in exchange for, for votes, and, or not in exchange for, but as an inducement to. 
That's was um, largely exchange for votes. You couldn't win the prizes if you didn't vote. So that's true. That's true. And maybe it's been done before. I haven't paid much attention to it. But yeah. um, whatever, you know, the whole thing was uh, well, very well executed. And uh, and the thing is, he, he's very deserving. It's hard. It's uh, it it you can't knock Segura making the All Star team. I mean, the guy is hitting three thirty. Uh, playing great defense, he is an all-star, and and now, um, but you know, Ben Attende also deserves to be on the all-star team. And who knows? There's gonna, there's always a million uh, additions and subtractions with guys getting injured and guys can't pitch and all that. So, uh, you know, a couple of other guys on that final man vote might get there, and I I still think there's a chance that James Paxton gets there. My favorite part about all this, though, is just how pissed Segura was. Like, a lot of guys will give you the platitudes and all this stuff. Nah, nope. Even, like, a day later, when I'm sure the PR staff is like, hey, man, don't do that. Just, just you know, say, hey, I'm, I'm happy for the chance or whatever. Nope, nope. I deserve to be there. I like that. I thought that was hilarious. Yeah, you know, you, you want to see a guy who, who's honest. And, uh, and he I was. Mean, I mean, he was angry <laughs> when we were talking. He was angry. Yeah, and uh, uh, he 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 didn't pull a uh, Gary Templeton. I don't know if you remember. If I ain't yeah. starting, I ain't departing. I ain't starting, I ain't departing. That was uh, one of the all-time great quotes because <laughs> he didn't get voted in, and he thought he should. He said, "Well, if they name me to the team, if I ain't starting, I ain't departing." And uh, um, you know, Blake Snell, who uh, who is from uh, Shore Crest, Shorewood, Shore Shore area. Sure. And one of our own Seattle area guys with the Blue Jays, or excuse me, with the Devil Rays, the Rays, uh, was probably the number one snub of anybody leading the AL in, in um, ERA, and he didn't make it. But he said that it just won't, if he, even if he gets named as a replacement, it won't be the same. And, uh, um, you know, I think he's going to get there, too. Probably the first alternate, I would think, you know, Trevor Bauer is scheduled to pitch on Sunday. Bauer replaced Verlander, who was scheduled to pitch on Sunday immediately, but it doesn't look like Bauer's going to get to be in it either, so that would seem to open up a spot for Snell. But uh, I think after Snell, I would think Paxton would be next in line for uh, for any spot that comes open. I would think so, too. Um, yeah, I, I, I get where Snell's coming from, but I think once he gets there, all that kind of washes away. And that's what Segura talked about. It's just like being out there... You know, you're on display for all of baseball. You're considered one of the best. I think that's what mattered to him so much is he wanted, you know, yeah, you get the recognition here in Seattle and, and maybe a little bit nationally, but to get out there, hear your name called to be a part of all that, you know, I think that's what he wanted. I mean, he was a, he made it his very, I think his very first full season with the Brewers and, and he just was really kind of, he's like, he said, you can't, I can't explain to you what that means when you're out there around all those guys and you hear your name and everything, which I thought was pretty interesting. Yeah, it's got to be totally cool, and and you know nobody in the end nobody remembers whether you were uh, an injury replacement or or how you got there. It, it you're just that you made the All Star team. It's kind of like making the Hall of Fame with a veterans committee. Uh, you know, ten years down the road, you're a Hall of Famer. No one remembers whether you were voted in or what ballot it was or or. Uh, whether it was the, the, the old-timers committee or whatever, you're just a Hall of Famer over time. And I think it's the same thing with an All-Star. Um, 
I don't know. There are some people who came out and said they should change the voting or change the requirement of having every team represented and st- stuff. I don't, you know. What? We hear that every single year. Right. And, uh, you know, I kind of like the rule. Uh, I think you want to have fan bases have some sort of vested interest in. Uh, yeah, how the hell does Jose Lopez get in to be an all star if they don't have that rule? <laughs> yeah. I mean, they did expand the rosters. After the uh, debacle yeah. in uh, 2002, which was probably my most memorable all-star memory, was was Bud Selig just throwing up his hands like, well, what the heck are we going to do when uh, he got word that they were out of pitchers in the 10th or 11th inning? Um, and it ended up as a tie. And they to make sure that didn't happen again, they realized they needed more players, so they did expand the rosters. and. I mean, you could possibly expand it even more, I guess, to uh, to assure that just because every team has to be represented, it doesn't keep worthy guys out. But uh, you know, I, I I don't have a huge problem with that. Um, if I were a fan of the uh, White Sox or the well, what not the White Sox? They had a guy voted in, but the Marlins or the Royals or somebody like that, I. I I'd want to have my guy there get his little moment. Yeah, Salvi Perez and his two ten batting average. <laughs> yeah, well, the Marlins played Real, this year. Real Muto, who's a very worthy guy. I mean, that guy's probably the best catcher in baseball right now. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, you know, I didn't. I mean, obviously, Jay Happ was the guy that got in for the Blue Jays. He was fine. He he's not in that group of pitchers though, deserving. But oh well. Um, you know, you know, have you checked out the the, the home run derby? Uh, yeah, I'm not really that crew. interested. No, nah, it's like the most uninspiring. Other than Harper, Harper had better had better carry this thing, or it could be it could be one of the most boring ever. Uh, You're just you know, happy. I thought, I each thought, row I isn't thought doing. that before, and there's there's always somebody who steps up and puts on a show uh, and salvages it. But it's sort of like the the slam dunk contest. The, the best players are not wanting to do it, and uh, uh, I mean, you could put together a tremendous field. But uh, for whatever reason, it'd be amazing. Know, it'd be amazing though, like if Alex Bregman or somebody at the last minute like said, "Oh no, I'm not doing it." And out of the out of the tunnel, you hear the walk up music, and like on WWE, and Ichiro <laughs> comes jogging down the ramp. My God, that's Ichiro's music. <laughs> oh, I would, I would uh, be yeah. the one uh, leading the ovation because that would be a great story. <laughs> yeah, it'd be a lot of work, but it'd be pretty yeah. funny. You talk about trying to have a tough time getting an interview. If he does that, you would be, oh, boy, that would be interesting. You're on the East Coast, though. you got some deadline time. Yeah, exactly. All right. And then, yeah, oh, and then the, we, we never finished, but why it's the longest day, but then you got the home run derby. So basically you're working from, from 10 a.m. to about midnight that day. Oh, yeah. So. Is it, do they have the, oh, no, the, the softball games on Sunday after the Futures game? This right, celebrity softball game. Yeah, and I put celebrity in quotes because usually I'm I'm looking at the list and saying who's that? Who's that? Who's <laughs> exactly. That? <laughs> but that may that be that may be more of a statement about my knowledge of popular culture, though. Dude, I had to watch Pitbull perform last year. I don't want to hear it. All right. <laughs> he was wearing a a girl's jersey too, so it could be tighter on him. It was ridiculous. <laughs> All right, let's go back. We'll work back. Um, Saturday, Robinson Cano talked to the media for the first time. He wasn't there, or you weren't there. Uh, it was just so, like, we'll give the kind of the background. So for clarification, um, 
Cano wanted to talk to the media. He didn't want to do it um, like in a big press conference. He wanted to be kind of more discreet and, um, and you know, with people he's familiar with, not just, you know, a bunch of guys he'd never seen before. Uh, so he brought in all the beat guys, um, myself, uh, Corey Brock from The Athletic, TJ Cotterell from The News Tribune, uh, Curtis Crabtree from 950, and he was representing the AP. Uh, was there uh, Shannon Dreyer, Jim Mueller, Brad Adam? I think that was the list. And was Greg Greg John there too? Oh, Greg Johns, yeah, obviously. So um, we we sat there and and they brought him into the room. I mean, I wrote a big long story. I mean, I'm sure my our editors love that two thousand words I cranked out. Um, but he was really contrite. Um, I know you went and read back all the stuff. He said everything he was supposed to say from what you you know what expecting. You know. He, he was contrite. He said he was sorry, and he explained some of the um, aspects of uh, why he didn't tell his teammates. And he also couldn't talk about the testing really itself. He he maintains that he got it from a doctor for another um, another illness. You know, we've been told it was high blood pressure, and you know, and he said he to play another position. I mean, it was everything I expected he would say, um, and he was very contrite about it. And, you know, any thoughts? Yeah, what was his body language like? Was he, uh, I mean, did he look like he was in pain? Was he relaxed? Was he, uh... you know, he was relaxed to a point. And I, I think I wrote that, you know, he, he gave the, the Cano smile, but it didn't have the wattage behind it. You know, when Cano really smiles, he got a great smile. I mean, you yeah. know, he, it's really it, easy and he smiles a lot. And when he really is feeling it, um, he can, you know, he'll light up a room, but, and he, he did smile, but it felt forced almost like, you know, I'm trying to feel like everything is going to be okay, but you know, I, he knows, I think he messed up and I think he knows, you know, I asked him about his legacy and he said, that's for us to decide and he'll think yeah. about it down the road. But I, I think that he knows there's no really walking this back, but this is always going to follow him wherever he goes. Especially because yeah, it's it, him. It's not like, you know, I guess maybe with like D Gordon, you don't think of it as much or some of these other guys. But it's it's gonna follow Robbie wherever, especially because of the stuff that went on in New York and what was said. Yeah, I mean, it's got to be incredibly painful on a bunch of different levels. I mean, you could, uh, I mean, you could blame him. He he did it, but still, I think yeah, on a human level, you have to feel the empathy. Uh, on like I said, so many different levels. There's the career, uh, what it does to his Hall of Fame. I mean, he was headed to the Hall of Fame. Now I don't think he's gonna get there. Because there's a difference between being a, a steroid suspect and being a uh, uh, you know somebody who has actually been convicted or or penalized as he has, and then there's the the more immediate of watching this team thrive and soar without you and do better without you while you're gone. That's got to be incredibly humbling and difficult and painful to watch. Uh, and then the uncertainty of what's going to happen when you come back, how are you going to perform, uh, what your role is going to be, have you lost your second-base job forever? I mean, that's a, that's a legitimate question, the way D. Gordon has played at second base uh, and the fact that D's got to be the second baseman in the postseason and then what they're going to do about that next year. Uh, you know, it makes a lot of sense to just keep D at second, and we've talked about that before. But all those things, um, 
you know, make it a really, really tough time for, for Robinson Cano. I haven't gone back and checked the numbers again, but they're way down offensively still. I, it just, it's glaring. You got to have a Cano in that lineup when he comes back. I mean, they just, oh, absolutely. They just don't score enough runs. I mean, like last night, you know, I, I, and, and Hanniger has been great and everything, but it just, your lineup is just better. So they got to figure it out a way. And I, 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 I've said this before, but I guarantee you, D. Gordon feels the exact same way. He may love playing second base. And, and he may feel comfortable there, and he might not love center field, but he likes winning more than anything. And getting this postseason, you, you know, the A's aren't completely out of it yet. So the Mariners can't screw around and, and just try and placate everybody. they gotta, they got to win these games and make sure it's established. Because the one thing you have to do, you cannot be playing till the last day of the season to get there. You know, they, they need to get there, have it set up so they can rest James Paxton and have him ready to go in that wild card game, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And the best thing for them would be for for the, I mean, the Red Sox and the Yankees who are headed to 105 plus wins, they both desperately want to win that division so they can't have a 105 win season go poof in one game. So if if they fight to the wire and, and they have to use uh, Severino or Sale, to get the division then and the Mariners uh, have already wrapped up the wild card but they can't catch the Astros uh and they could set up their rotation like you said for Paxton to be rested and ready for that one game playoff um you know that's a good position to be in uh and you know because he could beat anyone on any given day we know that um but it's going to be a lot tougher if it's uh, if they've got a score off of a sale or a Severino so um you know, I, I think they would obviously prefer to catch the Astros. I mean, they it could be they could distance themselves from the Athletics, but still be a couple of games behind the Astros and have to go hard on the chance of winning the division. I mean, it's gonna, there's some interesting scenarios that could that could play out. Uh, you know, I still think the Astros are going to, in the end, distance themselves from the Mariners to the point where. It won't go down to the last week, but you never know. I mean, their Mariners are hanging; they're only three back. So, uh, all right. So, in the day before that, um, Jerry Depoto got a contract extension. Um, I was just getting ready to go. <laughs> I was just walking into the gym. I was not happy. I was a grouchy <laughs> oh, man. I was grouchy that day. I just I hadn't worked out in a couple of days and. and I didn't feel good, and I needed that, and then all that happened. And oh, I mean, I'm happy for Depoto, and I thought he was deserving of it. But yeah, I was a grouch. Well, I flew home on Thursday to to my my mom was not was had some health issues, so I flew to to California to to help out there. So and then all hell broke loose with the Mariners while I was gone. I kind of felt bad. Yeah, yeah. I didn't yeah. know I had teammates. I didn't see any all weekend. I know that. <laughs> yeah, they had the Depoto situation. You had the Cano, Cano the All Star Game selections, and and all that. And I, I was like uh, I was at home, but it was you know family comes first, and you gotta oh, yeah. do what you gotta do. But uh, I did feel a little bit guilty. Friday, I wrote six stories on Friday. I mean, I was sick of reading my own words. I can't imagine a reader wanting to read all that garbage. <laughs> no, you did a great job. I mean, I was feeling for you. It was. I'd, I'd like to see your uh, your word count for, for that weekend. Yeah, well, you know, I overwrite anything anyway. So. <laughs> well, me too. So we're we're in the same club. But yeah, the Depoto uh, extension, I think, is 
uh, was warranted. Uh, he inherited a team that most people thought was in the need of a of a major rebuild that had no pieces to to execute it. It was not a great situation necessarily because of, because of the way the farm system was uh, barren and all that. And somehow he managed to rebuild to the point where they're on a hundred win pace and do it while using that farm system that nobody thought was any good as trade chips for trade after trade. They didn't, they didn't all hit. We've, you know, we've named a few that may backfire on them and the Chris Taylor and all that, but most of the trades uh, are looking better and better as foundational pieces like Mitch Haniger and Segura in one trade and Marco Gonzalez in another trade and leak with uh, another trade with the Cardinals separate trade last year. That's, that's 40% of their rotation and two all-stars just picked up on the fly. You know, Ben Gamble was a guy uh, who's become an important player who was picked up for, for virtually nothing. So uh, really, uh, adept job of turning over this roster and making it younger and better and, uh, uh, you know, giving up some, some talent, but, uh, but, but not, not nothing that's going to cripple this team. Well, yeah, I mean, it's a weird task because he was asked to kind of rebuild and reshape while still trying to win. That's not simple to do, especially given their roster limitations. I mean, you owed that much money. I mean, to Felix Cano, at the time, Iwakuma, Seeger, Cruz, they were hamstrung by budgets. He had to be very creative and bring in younger talent. They are more athletic. Um, you know, I just it, he's done an admirable job. It was funny. I don't think I made their president very happy, uh, Mather, because he, like, he sat there and gushed about DePoto, about all these different things that DePoto had done and how it's – and I said to him, I was like, well, if he's done all these things – why don't you just extend him in the spring and so instead of having him kind of twist around for a little bit? <laughs> Mather was kind of like, well, you know, that's kind of the business timing. I think they were still in a little bit of wait-and-see mode. If, if this team had come out and just fell flat on its face and tanked, they might have reassessed and not brought him back. It's, it's amusing, too, and I didn't want to point out to Mather. I pointed out to him before, but, you know, the last time he extended a GM, he had to fire him six months later, seven months later. <laughs> I'm sure he remembered that. And- yeah. But and I'm sure that's why they didn't do it in spring. They did want to see if this te- this, this season could have fallen apart. I mean, none of us had per- particularly high hopes of a of a uh, playoff chase. I think most of us thought 500 would have been a, a reasonable goal. So if they were hovering around 500 or under 500, it would be a whole different story. But success is success, and you can't argue with it. And I think service uh, is certainly the next on the list. To, if the the team is doing this well, it's a reflection of both the uh, general manager and the manager, and uh, you know it's hard to argue with the job services done. Uh, you know, last year with a bunch of with all those injuries, have them uh, keep them at least within hailing distance of a playoff spot f- for most of the season, and then the year before that they went right down to the wire, and then this year they're uh, they're right th- they're they're on the verge of. Uh, of being yeah, finally breaking that drought. So uh, don't you think that service is next? Oh, yeah. I mean, DePoto said as much. Uh, you know, he said he couldn't imagine doing his job without Scott. And I, I honestly, I, I look like from the spring training on, I felt like uh, there was this spring training, I felt like there was an edge to Jerry a little bit, that there was 
um, I would say anxiety, but he wasn't quite as gregarious and outgoing as maybe he'd been in the past. Um, you know, he wasn't particularly pleased with you and me at times, some of the stuff we were writing and saying. Uh, but, you know, I don't think he ever held that against us, but he just wasn't around as much this spring. And I think, you know, not having a contract and, and not knowing for certain his future weighed on him a little bit. I'll give him credit. He didn't do anything crazy like Bavese to try and save his job. <laughs> Uh, he stayed within what he believed, but I, I, I honestly think that weighed on him a little bit, you know, being in there. Because, one, if he were to get fired from this general manager's job, he would never have another general manager's job again. He's done it, what, three times, essentially, interim in Arizona, uh, left with over dispute in Anaheim, and then this. I mean, he would always have a job in baseball. He's too smart not to. But, you know, the odds of him becoming another a general manager again would have been slim. So I, I can see why that weighed on him. And vice versa service who probably you know if he gets fired from this you know if he would have got fired from this never had another manager's job again he never was a manager before so you don't have that cachet I, he handled it completely different. i think he just is so comfortable with it's like look this is who i am i'm in the final year of my contract if it works great if it doesn't i'm going out the way i want to be you know i'm going to act how i want to act i'm going to do the things i want to do and i think that kind of looseness and that kind of comfort with himself wasn't always available the first year or so. And I think that's that's helped him a lot with his players because he is so much more relaxed that way. Yeah, definitely. I think there was some skepticism being a first-time manager when he first came here. And, uh, and he has grown into the job. And I think he's earned the respect of the players and, and even the affection uh, of, of the players. And uh, I, mean, I, also think, I also think that they both of them had a kind of a quiet confidence that the team was better than we thought it was that everyone thought it was i think they kind of sensed what they might have and uh and were eager to kind of show the the skeptics that that this was better than you think it is we you know some of these guys that you don't know about the the uh marco gonzalez's uh and mike leaks are going to be better better than you think and uh um I think that part that that came into play a little bit as well. Yeah, you know, in talking with guys in the organization, um, you know, off the record stuff that they were saying, but just kind of in just passing conversations, they felt like their lineup and the Angels lineups matched up pretty well. Like they were similar. Obviously, the Mariners don't have a Mike Trout, but the, the Mariners lineup was a little deeper, perhaps, than the Mar than the Angels. They, you know, they both figured they'd score runs, but they all believed, you know, within the organization that their pitching was much better. That their starters were still better. They weren't. I mean, it's amazing to say, but weren't as injury prone as the Angels, and they all, they always felt like their bullpen was going to be better. Obviously, that was before Phelps got hurt. But if you look at it, I mean, it, it's kind of proven to be true. The Angels have a nice lineup. It's being banged up a little bit, but their pitching staff is falling apart at a rapid rate. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the whole key to this thing was the rotation coming together. Uh, and and Edwin Diaz being you know five steps above where he was before has been huge too. You blow four or five of those ninth inning leads, and all of a sudden it's a whole different story. He's been almost automatic, and you just can't overemphasize what that means to a whole team when you have when you just know you're going to win when you shorten the game. You know, the eighth inning hasn't necessarily been as smooth as they would have liked, but the ninth inning. The, the import, most important inning has been been iron ironclad, and then uh, 
the rotation. The question was, would how would Marco be? Would Felix uh, reinvent himself and would could Paxton stay healthy? And they've got two out of three. You know, Felix remains a big puzzle, and went on the DL, um, which probably more to just give him a breather and uh, than necessarily because of the injury. But he did did have the back issues. Um, they still need him down the stretch, and he's still, you know, still the biggest question mark and intrigue on this team uh, in the second half. I think after the All Star break, you just you'd love to see him from the Mayor's standpoint. Uh, show enough that you that he'd be part of any kind of playoff run that you have. But as we talked about on our last podcast, right now he's not in their he's not in their uh, rotation. If you if you have a five game division series, probably no. Yeah, um, uh, I mean Felix is posted. I'll give him that. He's posted nineteen starts. You know, yeah. that's that's not insignificant. You know, sometimes the quantity matters as much as the quality because the Mariners haven't had to dip into their Triple A to go bring up a bunch of spot starters and stuff like they did a year ago. So that's, that's important. Yeah. He hasn't, he isn't the same guy and I don't know if he ever will. And, you know, I mean, he's re- he reduced me to making Shakespeare references about him. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I mean, it, it's true though. Like Larry, I mean, like everything we write or like any game he starts, it's about him. No matter if it isn't about him, it's still about him. You know, he's, he's essentially their, their least productive starting pitcher. Um, you know, but it, it, you just can't get away from it. What, where he is, where he's going. If he pitches well, is it this going to be the start of something sustained? If he doesn't, is this you know the start of an, the inevitable slide to me, you know beyond something below mediocrity? Uh, it, you can't get away from it. No, and it's because of the history, and uh, that gives the story some some pathos. The fact that he was. Uh, the, you just said pathos. Good <laughs> not pathos. 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 James Pathos. Uh, <laughs> the fact that he—I mean—he was the face of this franchise for all those mediocre years, and uh, I think it just tugs at the heart. That yeah, it's, it's tragic. It's a Shakespearean yeah. tragedy. He's not going to pitch in the postseason if they make it. It's all because of his own self-inflicted doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is very Shakespearean. You nailed that one. Oh, man, I gotta uh, see in Shakespeare. If they had like assessed it in baseball terms, I might have understood it a lot better. <laughs> well, in yeah, I think that somebody wrote an article about all the baseball references in uh, Shakespeare. Uh, you don't realize back. we're baseball references. I have to go back and find it. Does, it, does Shakespeare <laughs> ever say the sword was coming out of his hand really well? It was coming out. Of his... <laughs> I'll have to find that. We'll we'll post it if I can. Okay. Speaking of extensions, uh, we'll get to what you wrote. You wrote the other day that Nelson Cruz deserves a contract extension. Um, very your, astute. Yeah, that's very astute of me. Yeah. Give me give me your uh, column in ten words or less. <laughs> well, that's my, one. Two. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah, that's the Eric Bedard uh, <laughs> treatment. That's one, that's one question. Uh, he. he just turned 38 last week. He's not slowing down. Uh, you, you're not going to replace his numbers. He's the he's the, the voice of the clubhouse in a quiet way, kind of the, as you put it to me, the, the heart and soul of that clubhouse and the engine that runs it. And um, if he likes it here, he, I think he wants to be here. Uh, you know, you do have concerns about. Uh, regression as he ages. He'll turn 39 in the middle of next season. 
that's when players really start to hit the skid. So there's a risk there. And there's also the Cano question of, you know, at some point he's going to slide into the DH job. But no matter what you do with him, whether you leave him at second, you maybe you move him to first. I don't think he's ready for DH next year or the year after. So I think there's still a spot on this team for Cruz. And uh, I just think he got too good of a thing going to, to mess it up at this point. Yeah, he's too. He's a large part of that culture in that clubhouse, the culture that they're claiming to be uh, important in this run. He is, I think, by all accounts, become probably the, the biggest leader. Cano is the more vocal of the guys. Um, Felix, not as much. Seeger is still kind of quiet. Uh, Segura kind of growing into that. But Nelson Cruz, everything, all business runs through Nelson Cruz, you know, and while he is simply one of the nicest human beings I've ever covered. Um, he's still intimidating, and when he does get angry or he does say, hey, don't do this, you know, the imposing stature alone tells you, but when he's willing to say, hey, no, I don't like this or I don't, this shit needs to change, uh, you know, people listen quite, quite quickly to what he says and does. Yeah, when you, the, the best situation you could have as a, on a team is to have your best players be your leaders as well. And, you know, I think it was the, that was the case with Cano and Cruz. Cano, I think, abdicated uh, some of his leadership by getting suspended. But Cruz is still, you know, still holds that role. And, uh, you know, Felix did for a long time. Now that he's declining, I don't know if he still has the same voice in the clubhouse as he as he used to. But Cruz certainly does, and I, I think you need to keep it. Yeah, I, I just think he's productive. I, I mean, he works. He works very hard to stay productive, and you know, it just—it's a huge difference when he's in the middle of that order. It's—it's it's amazing. We have not seen what the Mariners' true batting order can be since May fourteenth, and I mean, yeah. we really only saw a handful of it at times then because you remember Cruz was was scuffling and dinged up, and then Zanino had been out for a while too. So it'll be interesting when Cano comes back. And they need Zunino back too. Even though he's hitting under two hundred, uh, he's tremendous behind the plate. And uh, you know, I think uh, I don't know if it's cool. I don't know if it's uh, cause and effect or whatever. But there were some some poor pitching performances by the starters after Zunino went on the disabled list. And you know, Freitas hit his first home run last night, which was a great accomplishment for him. But. Uh, you know, you want you want Zanino behind the plate, and I guess he's, he'll be back when right right after the All Star break. Or? That's the hope now. Yeah, would you give yeah. uh, Cruz fifteen million and then like a vesting option, an easy vesting option? Or would you give him two, two at like thirty? I'd give him one and a vesting option. I think, uh, I think he'd probably take that because he knows he's gonna he's gonna vest if if they make it reachable. Yeah, incentives. It's like you give him like 400 PAs, you know, 400 play appearances, and the best at 400 plate appearances. That's fair. And then dump a bunch of incentives like uh, an escalator for, you know, after 30 home runs, every 10 after 30 home runs, or every five, you know, or something after. I mean, it's essentially what they did kind of with uh, David Ortiz, that they, they gave him a one-year deal at whatever the qualifying offer was, and it automatically vested if he had a, a pretty low plate appearance number for the next year. I think that's relatively fair. Yeah. So, where do you think Cano's going to play next year? If you had to on opening day next year, where will Robinson Cano be? Hmm. Well, that's tough. 
I don't know. I guess maybe first base, but that's all dependent if they can go find another outfielder because you can't play Guillermo already every day. No, I think we're seeing that. His numbers since he became kind of an everyday guy have not been good, well under well under 200. And you got Ryan Healy, who's going to hit 30-plus home runs this year. Do you just say goodbye to that? No, um, I don't know. I mean, I mean, maybe, though, if, if you really commit to Robinson coming up first base, then maybe Ryan Healy can go get you the center fielder you need. You know? Yeah, possibly. You know, that's, that's and you also have the possibility of putting D. Gordon back in center. Yeah, I mean, and, uh, do you really and, wants uh, to do that? Maybe that's what you do. Yeah, well, I don't think he wants to. Do that. No, I, think I, he, do. I think he loves playing second base, and you know, he's he's great at it. Even though the defensive metrics show that Cano has is a better second baseman than Gordon, my eyes tell me the other opposite. I mean. Gordon's got more range, obviously. That's the that's what he he has more range and makes the spectacular. Um, you know, he's 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 boxed a few more of the routine plays. Cano's got the superior arm, though. I mean, that's what like yeah. especially some of that double play stuff and the double play turns. Cano, it's because Cano's arm strength is he's got shortstop arm strength, and so yeah. that's what makes up for it. Well, they're both yeah, they're both good defensive second basemen. So in their own I mean, way, you know, it's the same thing. It's like they're both they're you know, and but Cano, I mean, is an eight fifty OPS guy, and that's the difference, you know. Yes, it's, it's, it's for for all everybody's praise of Gordon and how he's energized this team and and all that and and all deserve it. I think I, I agree with that that he's been a a great addition and that he's really helped this team. His numbers are not impressive. <laughs> I mean, his on-base percentage is hovering around 300 for a, uh, for a leadoff hitter is not good. Uh, and his OPS is in the mid sixes. Um, yeah. And he hasn't know. been on first base enough to steal second. You know, they ha- I mean, when he gets on, he's very disruptive. He just hasn't gotten on enough lately. Right. He just doesn't walk at all. I mean, his average is respectable, but, uh, you know he rarely he rarely walks, but um, like I said, he's I mean they're far better team with him than without him. And uh, uh, but the 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 numbers kind of tell a little bit of a different story. All right, let's go. We'll answer one or two questions from readers, and then we'll go. I think here maybe not. I don't think I have. I can't get it to come up. Or am I stupid? <laughs> Uh, all right well we'll uh, skip that yeah maybe the reason we haven't also the reason we haven't had a podcast is because larry can't get his phone to couldn't get his phone to work for a while i'm just pointing that out it's not my laziness larry doesn't and i larry didn't larry's phone wasn't working and so he didn't have his phone he had a loner phone and we i'm not going through the process of getting him on skype on his computer so we just we just took a little break and we now we have lots of stuff to talk about by doing it this way yeah yeah it's even uh we we let the stuff store up a little bit and then we can unleash it all all at once we'll do one after the all-star game we could talk about all these all the things that happened in the all-star game and then we got the trade deadline coming up yeah which will give us lots of material for for the rest of july yeah, you never know i may cheat on you and bring some other people on too you know just um <laughs> uh, Trying to think if we need anything else. I was going to ask your prediction for the All Star game, but that seems pretty pointless, don't you think? Yeah, I mean, who cares? Even less now with the uh, it doesn't it doesn't matter anymore. It's not for home field advantage. No, uh, I mean it. Yeah, I just I, I'm happy that you get a go. I mean, that's you'll be, you'll you'll enjoy it a lot more than. I mean, I, I always enjoy it, but it'll be fun for you to go. And... All I can say is that looking at the rosters, 
I, I think the, the American League has a far better team. That doesn't necessarily mean they're going to win, but uh, I think the American League is pretty loaded this year. No, yeah, I agree with you completely there. Um, they do. They have the, the more talent than everybody else, but, you know, you never know. I, the, the pitching is interesting, too. The Mariner, You think the American League has probably better pitching in that regard, I would think. But. Yeah, I mean, Scherzer's a great pitcher. There's... Uh, there's some there's, there's obviously great pitchers in in both leagues, but I think I think there's a when when Blake Snell and James Paxton don't make the roster, that's a pretty that's a pretty good uh, that's a pretty good lineup there. Kluber and uh, Sale and all those guys, and uh, no Clayton Kershaw this year, right? I mean, that's uh, that's a little odd. Yeah, uh, somebody asked yesterday. Barry Bloom, our friend Barry Bloom, posed the question that if if he if Kershaw never threw another pitch, would he be a Hall of Famer? And to me, the uh, it's obviously would be yes. He's had seven Cy Young caliber seasons. The Bloomer was the Bloomer was here yesterday. <laughs> was he? Yeah, his questions didn't go over well with service. <laughs> I saw I saw a quote. In his, I read his story about the Mariners, and he, and he, and you had a quote from Service saying, "Sir." Yeah, it was pretty funny. <laughs> Whenever a manager calls you "sir," you know you've pissed him off. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, if you walk that line, yeah, it was it was funny. He like when Service doesn't isn't really feeling it or feeling you, he'll give you the one word answer usually yeah. or something. You can just tell. And then Barry kind of knew. I mean, it was just kind of like, okay, yeah. I don't think that's the first time Barry's had to deal with that kind of answer before in his life. Um, I found some questions, but uh, will Edwin Diaz get to 50 saves or not? I think he will. I mean, shoot, he's 14 away. But I do think they have to curtail his usage in the second half to – just to so he is not burnt out by the time the playoffs run around when they come around. Yeah, I do uh, too. I, I mean, they they can do it. Let's just score some more runs for God's sakes, or lose by more. Don't play so many damn close games. You won't have to use them so much. Exactly, exactly. And I think that having him fresh for the the end of the season is more important than reaching some arbitrary number of saves. But on the other hand, if you're going to keep having close games and you need to win those games, he's the guy you want out there. So uh, you're right; they do need to to open up a a little bit more of a cushion so that it's not they don't have to bring him in four times a week like they seem to be doing now. Hmm. Um, have you noticed? You see, have you personally seen a noticeable difference in this team from years past? Yes, they're actually winning. <laughs> yeah, and. I mean, a lot of people are attributing it to the great chemistry and camaraderie, and they do have that. But I'm a firm believer of the school that the winning is what breeds the great chemistry, not the other way around. I don't think they're winning because necessarily because the the kumbaya stuff. I no, think that, because like the first year, I, they they last year remember they wanted to bring more edge to the team, so they. They went out and got Gerard Dyson, who's kind of mouthy, and then they got Danny Valencia, who's just a jerk, and it didn't work. You know, it was yeah. like, oh, I don't know. Well, I mean, it, there is something. To, I mean, Service has done a good job of of 
building that that camaraderie with the stuff he does in spring training and all that but uh if they weren't any good that would all that would all be empty um it kind of goes hand in hand but the winning the winning is what makes it all work and they're winning because they're a good team not because uh they hang out together all right well we'll uh we'll catch this up after the all-star game so you'll have to Tell us all about it, and we'll kind of preview the season going forward, maybe wrap up the first half, all that good stuff. So, All right. What are you doing during the All-Star break? You're going to Colorado? I'm staying, staying in, in Colorado Col- for a couple of days, and then uh, there's some concerts at the Tractor while I'm home on that Wednesday and Thursday that I'll be going to. Stoney LaRue, the ah. former duo of Larry LaRue and Larry Stone. <laughs> I so. remember. I'll never forget. We were in Kansas City, Yeah, and I was with Larry LaRue. May he rest in peace, the great Larry LaRue. And uh, Stoney LaRue was doing a, a show after the game, and there was Stoney and LaRue. Oh, yeah. And we, should have, we should have posed for a picture with Stoney LaRue. But... Poncho and Lefty. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I'm just, it's, it's, it'll be weird not doing anything for the All-Star break, but that, you know, it'll be good. My family's happy. My parents are going to be in Denver, too, so I'll stay there a couple days. It'll be good. Well, enjoy yourself, and uh, I will try and uh, do us proud. Yeah, you'll be fine. Eat lots of Shake Shack. <laughs> I will do so. All right. Thanks, Larry. All right. All right. All right. Okay. Thanks for listening to this week's show. Uh, really appreciate it. Like I said, we uh, will try and do something in next week. I've talked with a couple other people about coming on. We'll probably mix it up a little bit with Larry being in D.C. Uh, thanks to Larry for coming on and getting a new phone, which is always a good thing. Thanks to Midnight Salvage Company, the official house band of the Extra Innings Podcast, for all the music and allowing us to use it. And as always, if you need to get a hold of me, you can email me at rdivish at seattletimes.com or uh, hit me up on Twitter at Ryan Divish or on my professional Facebook page, which is just under my name. So thanks for listening, and we will talk to you soon. <laughs>